0: All right, let's stand on our feet. I want to read out of Psalm 67. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's good to be with you, church. All right, Psalm 67, verse 1. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with a brightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's wonderful to be back with you. I'm a little nervous preaching tonight because my princess is in the house. She might be sneaking out uh, right after service, too, because it's a little overwhelming to introduce her to everybody all at once. But uh, we are really blessed, Jackie and I, that we, uh, we brought our little girl uh, on June 4th at 9.24 AM. We brought her forth. And she is a healthy, happy little baby for the most part. There's sometimes she's not happy, trying to figure that one all out. Uh, but we are, uh, we are absolutely in heaven. So thank you for everyone who's prayed for us and excited to, to be back. I feel different. And I don't know if that means I'll preach better right away, but uh, I feel different. So I, uh, I was in prayer about where to, um, can, to pick up tonight with the message, and uh, I had prepared a message a couple months ago. Uh, When we were talking about the favor of God, it was in May. I did a couple messages on God's favor, and I had taken a a pause, and the Lord had led me in a different way. But uh, I had a message, and and I felt the Lord brought it back and said, it's time now. So uh, I'm going to jump back in and give you a little recap of, I preached two messages on God's favor and and then in the context of asking the question, how do we grow in favor with God like Jesus grew in favor? Because Luke 2.52 says, says, the boy Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. So uh, the premise and the idea of favor is really that you like someone. Uh, you can tell if someone favors you by the look in their eye when they look at you. And God favors us. God doesn't just love us. He likes us. He likes us a lot. And it's my belief that if the world knew this, we'd make God a lot more attractive. If the church knew this, we'd make God a lot more attractive to the world if we really, really believed that God favored us. Uh, Everyone has a deep-seated belief. I'm just going to give you a a recap, kind of refresh you, and then contextualize what I want to jump into tonight. Uh, Everyone has a very deep-seated belief of what God is like, who he is to you. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds... When we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like We tend to live by a secret law of the soul That we move toward our mental image of God This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God So when we're talking about God and we're singing about the face of God, we're in the presence of God, we're on this journey of getting a revelation of God for who he really is. If we see God for who he really is, we will worship him in a way that he's worthy of. And there's this growth and progression in our life as we uh, get this more sanctified idea of who God is. And we get deeply formed. Our image of God gets shaped by life, Um, most poignantly mom and dad. And they say between zero and 18 months, what most shapes a human being's idea of self, the world and God is the look on the face of mom and dad. So we get shaped throughout our whole life, the way that we're uh, exposed to the things, the way that we're loved. We get this idea of who God is. And Jesus, of course, all humans are imperfect, so we have somewhat of a fractured, imperfect vision of who God is because we live in a really broken planet. Am I the only one that lives on this planet? Yeah, I haven't been on social media for a year. It's been delightful because it's closed the aperture of how much brokenness I consume on a daily basis. We live in this very, very broken world. So we as humans, we're on this journey, and the church is on this journey of getting a revelation of who God really is. That we could see him for what he's really like. And the enemy is the adversary. He's sowing lies to try to distort this image. The war in each one of our lives is for who God is. Because the question of our life is not if we will worship, it's who we will worship. And who we will worship is who we believed God to be. Right. So there's this war, we're searching, this is, this is the, the inner pursuit of man, is, is for the face of God. It's C.S. Lewis who says, every, every man who stumbles into a brothel, every heroin addict who shoots her arm up, with drugs at their heart of hearts is searching for God. We are all searching, yearning for the face of God. Jesus came to put a face on God. He wants to reveal who he is to us. Right? I'm going to pause there. You can listen. There's a whole message on that in May if you weren't here. And so this journey of growing in favor and and how what does it mean to grow in favor? I want to break this a little bit out of the uh, transactional understanding, because uh, we receive favor as a child. This is how we receive it by God. God is Father. Jesus came to reveal that we'd be the spirit of adoption, that we become sons and daughters. I have a daughter now. She doesn't have to do anything to work for my favor. I just like her, and I love her, and my face lights up every time I see her. When she walked into the room just 20 minutes ago, I had to go see her. I wanted to hold her because I love her. I favor her. I really, really like her. We are God's children. He likes us. He favors us. He's, he absolutely adores us. We enter this really just through humble asking and receiving. That was the first week's message. Um, but then this idea of growing in God's favor. How do we grow in favor? How would my daughter grow in favor? Is she going to earn more of my love as she gets older? No, maybe, right? No, no, that's the answer. You guys awake? How are we going to grow in favor if God already loves me so much that before the foundation of the world, he made this plan to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross to save me from my sins and wipe all away my iniquities and make me the righteousness of God so that for endless ages he could lavish me with the unending riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. How am I going to make him favor me more? If he already favors me so much that he would do all of that before I ever breathe my first breath, but Jesus grew in favor with God. So you see the dilemma here. So we have a God who completely favors Jesus because Jesus is God, and He says, "One is only beloved Son who had no sin." So perfect favor, and yet the boy Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. Isn't this fascinating? How do we grow in favor with a God who absolutely adores us, right? Because if we don't understand first that we're a child and that we're not earning this, we're going to drift into this really transactional relationship that basically we're going to have this relationship with God that's like, hey, what do I have to do to get the blessing to come down in my life? Where's the lever that I can pull that I can get you to dispense the goodness toward me? How many hours do I need to worship? How much do I need to pray? How much do I need to give financially? How many times do I need to come to church a month? We start playing these little games like, what do we need to do so that God will smile upon us? He's already smiling upon us. What changes is not his smile upon us. What changes as we grow in favor is our ability to recognize and become aware of that smile upon us. And actually grow in our trust of that smile upon us. So we want to grow in trust in that smile. How do we grow in trust in that smile? Through relationship. I actually have to be in a really intertwined relationship with the person that favors me right like when you first start dating somebody it's like "Mm, i favor you try that youth don't say i like you i favor you i just really helped a young man out over there i don't know which one it is but i i can just tell there's some favor coming down from camp this weekend Right when you first start dating, it's like I favor you. And you're like, you favor me, right? And you're like this little tap dance. Like, do I re- do you really favor me? How much do you favor me? Do you favor me enough to be my girlfriend? You know, it's like there's this. You're the, you're building trust with that person of what that favor actually looks like. Is that favor fickle? Does it change? Is it the same on Monday as it was on Friday? Right? We're we're. We're in fickle. Second love relationships being not God's first love. Human relationships are fickle. This is part of the brokenness. This is part of why we don't believe that God really favors us. Because where do we see unconditional favor in the world? So this is the fight that we're on. We grow in trust. I, I shared this example, and then I'm going to jump into what I really want to talk about. But I shared this in, in May, but I, I shared this is before Naomi was born. Now she's born, so close her ears, hon. Um, but if Naomi comes to me, let's say in 13 years from now, she's 13 years old now, and she says, hey, Dad, I want $10,000 to go shopping this weekend, what do you think I'm going to say? I'm going to say, nope. Who told you that? <laughs> you know, who put that idea in your mind? You're not allowed to hang out with them anymore. Right, like there's not even gonna be a question in my mind if I would do something like that, right? But say she were to come to me and say, hey dad, uh, I want you to loan me $100,000 on a 5% interest rate and I'm gonna use that as a down payment on a home and I found this home that I can make 1,500 bucks a month in cash flow and I'm gonna pay you a third of that and she gives me this whole elaborate business plan of this thing and I'm gonna pay for my college with it and da-da-da-da-da-da-da and I'm gonna be like, who told you that? Did you come up with that yourself? Right? And I may, and I may not have enough money to do that, but I'm pretty su- sure gonna tell you I'm pretty fascinated by that. Right? If she were to come to me with that type of a conversation, and maybe she even asked me for more money than what she asked the weekend before for shopping, but it doesn't matter about the money. The money doesn't matter. See, we make sometimes this whole prosperity gospel thing with God, like does God want to give us money, how much money, da 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 da, da. I don't really think God cares about money. What God's looking for is wisdom. Right. Right? When I see wisdom inside my child, and when I will see that, over the, that's going to unlock realms of favor in my heart to be dispensed towards her that already exists, but I can't yet give to her. Because she hasn't grown in wisdom and stature and then favor with God and man. Are you with me? So there's something about wisdom. There's something about trust that as it matures in relationship, we actually, we actually grow and receive the capacity and the fortitude to receive something that we couldn't have received before. Right? There's realms of God's favor that exist in his heart for you that he can't yet dispense to you because you don't have the capacity to steward it. And if you don't have the capacity to steward it, it means it would actually damage you. It would break you. You know, I've heard people ask, you know, why why don't more people have walk in these really profound anointings or why don't more people in the church have you know this or this or that? And I'm like, because we don't have the character to even steward that. Right. I, I mean, I think most people, unfortunately, if every person they prayed for got healed like Jesus, they wouldn't have the character to steward that. It would get perverted. But I'm the man of power for the hour. Come to me. Like there's... There's, there's such, I, I almost sometimes wonder, what are the realms that we haven't even seen of God's favor because he hasn't found a people that will so humble themselves under the hand of the potter that he could form the righteousness of Christ Jesus in them truly. Right? That, that we could be like Jesus one day, that there could be such a depth of discipleship accomplished, a a growing and a cultivating of the inner man that we we could know that if you've encountered me, you've encountered him. Because it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. My life's not my own. I've been ransomed with a price. I'm on the altar. I'm sanctified. I've been transformed. I've been redeemed. God is just looking for people that will come under his hand so that he can dispense, so that he can Cause his face to shine on us. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine on us. That his ways be known on the earth, that's his wisdom, and his salvation go forth to the nation. God wants to bless you in such a way that the earth will fear him. Because they would look at your life and say, I I have no words. Like God wants to cause bones to quake in a holy fear because of the enormity of his favor upon you. (laughs) This is why I say if the church knew this, we'd make him so attractive. Because we're so quiet. So wisdom. If we're going to grow in wisdom, we have to grow in the voice of God. This is a very long prelude to what I want to talk about Uh, And and the voice of God, meaning I'm only going to learn the wisdom and the character and the holiness and the trust. I'm only going to be developed into the type of person that can steward the favor that God has in his heart for me if I'm in close relationship with him. If I'm actually in an ongoing discipling connection with his voice where he's talking to me and I'm responding to him and I'm being shaped by his thoughts that I'm learning to think about life the way that he thinks about life, right? That's the goal of parenting. I have a little human who's 22 days old, and she doesn't know a thing about life. And I'm 32 years ahead of her, and God, I guess, trusted that that was enough time for me to get enough of a head start that I'd have something of worth to offer her, and that I could disciple her into the way of life, which hopefully is congruent with the kingdom right this is why everybody says well my third child has it better than my first child why because i was a lot more sanctified and further along in the way of the kingdom in the discipling of this child than I was the first child this is why god gives extra grace to firstborns you take the brunt of it all you're like man your parenting was rough on me and god's like special grace special grace if you would have seen my mother at 25, special grace. <laughs> All right. All right. We, we, so the voice of God, he's going to disciple us. He's, he's like an eternity ahead of us. He actually created life, he actually spoke and created everything that is, he created it. He knows how life functions, he knows spiritual dynamics, relational dynamics, emotional dynamics, financial dynamics, every way, every system, by wisdom he founded the earth. And now he created us to be the apple of his eye that he could disciple us into his way of life so that we could live in congruence with the creator and bring creative beauty everywhere we go. He put us in a garden and said, cultivate it. This is the amazing thing about heaven. Heaven is a city called Jerusalem. Where did he put Adam and Eve? He put them in a garden. What is a city? It's where humans get together and cultivate and create things. I just, I just believe that heaven's actually going to be a co-created work. You see in Isaiah, there's all these visions of the ships of Tarshish coming into the, the holy city. Those were pagan ships, but they were the greatest ships in the Mediterranean world. I'm sure things get redeemed and they pass through, but it would be quite a fascinating question to say what that we could create in this life will actually pass into eternity. What of the city of man will God so look upon and say, that, that was in relationship with me. This, this is actually, this is going to be in that city. What if our life here actually matters from eternity's perspective? This is, John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you that you'd bear much fruit and that fruit would remain. God wants you to bear something of eternal creativity in your time on earth, which is just, it's just quite fascinating. But to do this, we need a strong connection with his voice. Two components of the voice of God, I'm not going to talk about the first one because this was another message, but that's the inspiration or the receiving of revelation, right? So God has put the capacity, the faculty inside of us to actually receive divine revelation. And, and just as a child learns to speak English or whatever their native tongue is, they learn it through thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of stimuli being directed towards the child by mom and dad and everybody else. Oh, hi, sweetie, doll, Do you la-da-da-da, mama da right? We just talk to children, and eventually they start to, out of the random mass of stimuli, attribute meaning and understanding, and they say, wow, that's a word, dad." da it's definitely going to be our first word, dad, dad. <laughs> right? So we actually learn English. We learn to recognize the inspiration of mom and dad's voice as we sit in an environment where we're constantly being spoken to. It's the same with God. People say, well, I haven't heard the voice of God. No, he's speaking to you. You just haven't learned to distinguish and recognize his voice yet. This is why the more that you walk with the Lord, you begin to, to uh, you, he walks with me and he talks with me and it becomes an expectation inside of you because his thoughts towards you are more numerous than the sand on the seashore, right? So we have been given a capacity to receive inspiration. God speaks to us in our own tongue, in our own language. He meets us right where we're at and he speaks to us. This is amazing. Inspiration. That's the that's the first muscle. That's the bicep of receiving God's voice. The tricep, the, the counter development is interpretation. Say interpretation. Inspiration and interpretation. Interpretation is the action of explaining the meaning of something. Interpretation is hard. Say hard. It's hard. It's really hard. You know how you can know interpretation is hard? Because there's churches all across this country that say, we're a Bible-believing church. Have you ever heard of a church say, we're not a Bible-believing church? (laughs) If they they say that, don't go there. That means it's probably a cult, right? But but the reason I say this, there's churches that say, we're a Bible-believing church, which would which would set up the connotation that there would be churches out there that have it on their signs, we're not a Bible-believing church. What are they saying? They're saying, we don't agree with their interpretation of the Bible. We agree with our interpretation of the Bible, and we really believe it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Some of you, <laughs> you don't, don't be offended. That's just a joke. All right. So interpretation is hard. That's the point. Every Christian, for the most part, with probably a few exceptions out there, believes the Bible. But it's the interpretation of the Bible where we get in all of our troubles and our fights and our quarrels and da 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 da. Because interpretation is hard. All right. So interpretation is the process of making sense of messages right the need for interpretation actually comes from the brokenness of sin Babel. there was one time in college i was did not study for my spanish test and uh my teacher would have anybody um she said anybody want to you know uh pray for the test before the test i said yeah can i can i share a little thought from the word of god too and she said yeah christian university so I just turned my Bible to Genesis and read the story of the book of Babel, and I said, let's just have a moment of mourning together. <laughs> I don't know what I got on the test. It probably wasn't very good. Anyways, yeah, we, we just, communication went haywire, Babel onward, just messed it all up. We were all on the same page. We couldn't do it anymore. And uh, we need interpretation because communication has is, is been uh, really haywired on this planet, uh, our communication as humanity is very fractured and rudimentary, meaning it's very hard. We we misinterpret messages all the time. Any married couples? Can I get an amen? Right? You're like married. You're like married to the person. You speak the same word. You go to the same church. You'll read the same book, and you'll say something and misinterpret the message, because interpretation is hard. All right. You're getting on this, right? So let me give you some scriptural examples of this to just show you how hard interpretation is. All right. The first is the idea of Jesus as Messiah. I don't, I could give you a million references. I don't need you for this. Um, but the truth is that Jesus, uh, came, right? He's preaching about the kingdom of God and people start proclaiming him as the Christ. John the Baptist acclaims him as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world and he was the Messiah. So he is literally, God is literally speaking face-to-face with people about who he is. In John, we see the seven I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the water, right? He's like, here I am, this is who I am, this is what I'm coming to do, and how many people got it? Zero. Why? They couldn't interpret what he was saying correctly. They were all interpreting his words as a political military Jesus that was going to liberate them from Roman occupation and restore national liberty. They could not hear what he was saying cuz they couldn't interpret it. All right, Peter's rebuke. We love this one. Oh, we don't love this one. It probably scares us a little bit if we're honest. Matthew 16:22 Jesus says very clearly, and again, think this is God himself. This is perfect inspiration. I am going to Jerusalem, and people are going to mistreat me. What does Peter say? You are wrong. (laughs) I can't interpret that. You're wrong. That will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? He he actually rebukes his interpretation, says, get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind on the things of man, not the things God. Of God he literally couldn't interpret that message correctly uh, in Matthew uh, 16 6 a little earlier in the same chapter the disciples have seen Jesus multiply bread multiple times they're having this uh, pout discourse with the Pharisees and the Sadducees they get in the boat and I guess we're told that they forgot bread so they're on the boat and Jesus says hey beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they start talking amongst themselves saying I can't believe we forgot bread he's mad at us that we forgot bread they're interpreting what Jesus literally said to them through their own failure. Missed the message. Jesus says, I'm not talking about the bread. I just multiplied the bread. I'm not really concerned about how much bread we have. I'm concerned about the teaching of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right. And then, uh, alas, this is is a good one too, classic, is just the call to discipleship itself that the 12 had received. They were given a distinct calling, 12 apostles. And Matthew 23 is one, uh, verse 11 is one of the conversations that Jesus has with them around greatness, Um, but it's a continued conversation where Jesus has to keep speaking to them the same thing that the last are first and the greatest are least, right, which is revealing they interpreted their own call through somewhat of an elitist perspective. They didn't get it. I mean, even post-resurrection, Peter is still bickering with Jesus about if If he's better with John, what do you mean? I have to be crucified. What about him? Like they're still jockeying for position. This is interpretation issues. Interpretation is hard, right? So interpretation is actually more complex than revelation. Why? Revelation comes to us in our own context, right? Meaning like God speaks our language to us. Haven't you ever been just thankful that the Lord doesn't come speaking Hebrew to you? Like, <laughs> Could you say it slower? Could you write it down? I don't know what that means. It's amazing. He speaks in English to us. He's not English or American. He has his own language that he probably prefers. It's probably a better language, probably has better sounds and syllables and meaning. It's probably a lot easier grammatically. I bet you it is. English is definitely the concoction of man. <laughs> Same with the metric, you know, the, our whole measuring system yards and feet. And you're like, I don't even know how many meters are in a yard. <laughs> I don't know. It's concoction of man, All right? Clearly. So uh, God speaks to us in English. This makes Revelation quite a bit easier. Right? But interpretation is the process of sifting us out of the equation. That's why it's hard. So revelation comes to us, and we're talking about God's voice. Revelation comes to us in our language. Whew. I had the goosebumps. I saw this picture. I heard this word. Da, 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 da. It's like I received a message from God. That's easy. I'm not saying that it's always easy, like it takes time. But that's the easy part because it's in my language. The difficult part is interpreting that message to make sense of what does that mean. Because to do that rightly, I have to sort my own biases and my own mental map out of the equation. This is the truth. We are all at the mercy of our mental map. We are all at the mercy of our mental map. We have a way of seeing the world that that it's a lens through which we're interpreting our life. This is why, when political things take place in our country, the two people will interpret them very different in a way that creates conflict. I believe the way that the enemy works most expressly in human beings is by creating a mental map that is sown with deception, that actually blinds us. This is why it says it's the the God of this world who blinds the minds of the unbelieving with a veil. It's, it's, It's a mental map. It's a thought pattern. It's a paradigm. That's so why Jesus begins his message on the kingdom actually speaking to our mind. He says, repent, change the way you think about life. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's trying to shift and change our mental map so that we can interpret him correctly. Israel had their wrong mental map about what Messiah was. This is why they couldn't hear what he was saying. Right? They heard what he was saying, but they didn't really hear what he was saying. They received inspiration, but they didn't really interpret it in the right way. Okay, so interpretation is the process of sifting us out of the equation. So before we talk about the voice of God, I want to talk about the Bible. Because when we read the Bible, usually we first start reading the Bible into our context when what we're supposed to do is read our context into the Bible. Let me give you a really good example of this. Every athlete out there that has Philippians 4.13 tattooed on their chest. You can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, man. Is now is that true? Yeah, it's true. Is that what Paul's writing about? <laughs> no, I'd be nervous. if I was an athlete, I'd be like, "Am I going to put in prison one day or something?" Right? What is Paul writing about? I've learned to abound in good and in little. He's sitting in the inner prison of a probably a feces-filled, terrible, dark place, writing a book about rejoicing—the book of Philippians. And at the end of that, he culminates it, saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a little different of a context. <laughs> like, it's, it's, now, is it wrong? No. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, <laughs> all things through Christ who gives you strength. Glory to God. He helped me get the chip this year, man. MVP. <laughs> all right. You know, another, another, I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, oh, you know, uh, Benji, who's leading worship, he did a good little devotional this year at the Catechumenate Retreat on uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you for your welfare, not for your calamity. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You've ever read that? And she's like, yes. Right, he was saying people wrote that on his graduation cards. It's like, that is such a great promise, but it's not really in the context. Because if I'm graduating college, I don't want that verse. Because that was God speaking as he was sending Israel into 40 years of exile in Babylon. (laughs) So that might not be the most encouraging verse to send a college grad. You're going to get a job in four decades. But take heart. He knows the plans he has for you. All right, you, you're, you're with me, church, right? So we often start reading the Bible into our context, which, by God's grace, works sometimes, and we can still get blessed. But it's not, it's not, it's not how it's designed to be read. Where we're going to get the most out of the Scripture is when we understand the context of the Scripture and we start to read our life into that. When this actually becomes our mental map, And we don't try to fit this into our mental map. So that's the Bible, right? So the Bible is objective revelation to us. But even with objective revelation, if we subjectively interpret it, we can get ourselves in trouble. So what we want is objective revelation with the scripture with as objective of an interpretation as possible. That's how we find purity. That's why we find transformation. So now let's go to the voice of God, and this was where it gets a little more dicey, right? Because the voice of God is not objective revelation, it's subjective revelation. It's coming from within me. Where does Jesus live? Right here, inside of us. Meaning most of what we receive of his voice as actually being sourced from within, it's a thought or a prompting or a feeling or a goosebump or I'm reading the word right and it, it something emerges and flowers inside of me. Subjective revelation. So this is where the prophetic can get damaging in ways, is if we have subjective revelation and then we have subjective interpretation. That's a lot of subject woven into the whole thing of divine inspiration. And who's the subject? Me, human Jordan, who has mistakes and flaws and my own mental map that I am at mercy to. And I'm on a journey of becoming like Jesus. I don't yet see life the way he sees life. So you see that there's room for error here. Just a little room for error. There is. Right? So this is one way of saying it. We are hardwired by God with the capacity to receive revelation. But we are not hardwired by God with the capacity for a holistic interpretation within ourselves. This is where we're actually designed to operate within community. St. Francis of Assisi, I mean, he had like one of the most profound connections with God. If you read his stories, he would often submit himself to a spiritual director, everything. This is what the Lord is speaking. Submit it for that person's discernment of what he was hearing. I mean, he would hear like intimate details of people's lives and stuff. I mean, he had a stronger connection with God's voice as you could talk about. But there was humility because he understood the subject was him. And he's the clay. He's not the potter. Right? There's a growth in humility. So humility and holiness will actually increase our capacity for accurate interpretation. Why? Because the flesh gets crucified to greater depths, meaning the manipulative nature of the selfish ego ceases to be in operation. Right? So what I'm advocating here is not a shift from uh, independence to a democracy where you have eight people take a majority vote every time you hear from God. That's not going to be helpful. Because right? this is the challenge, if we're being honest, is that we have all had times where we've heard from God and then other people have talked us out of that or sown doubt or discouragement. Right, or we've been rejected because of what we hear. So the tension that we have as humans is we want to hear from God, we want to have conviction, but I also want to remain moldable in the interpretive process with an understanding that, yes, I've received inspiration, I have a conviction of what I think it means, but I also need help interpreting what it means by other people in my life to really make sure that I'm getting it. Right. This is this is the challenge. This is relational wisdom, right? And this is, again, how do we grow in favor Relational wisdom. I'm, inner, I'm, I'm connecting with his voice. I have this very vibrant, confident relationship with his voice. right? So what I'm advocating is a shift from independence to interdependence. Right? And I would define interdependence as living in deep dependence upon God and being relationally moldable by community. right? Because we want to have conviction, but we also want to be moldable. So here, you know, and th- just, just being honest with you, like, this is just full confession. I don't think many pastors will confess this, but I've gotten in so much trouble in my life, particularly in my younger years, when I was hearing God's voice and was interpreting it myself. I'm not joking. I think there was probably, if I'm honest, three different times I thought the Lord said that was the one I was going to marry. Um, wrong, wrong, wrong. Praise be to God. Um, I mean, I, I could go down the list of a whole bunch of times that I believed i had heard from God and actually made just big old messes because of that. And that was because I was, I was receiving the inspiration and I was interpreting it all with an enclosed island of me and God. And the problem is, is on that island of me and God, I wasn't always sure who was me and who was God. Especially when I'm receiving subjective revelation that's coming inside of me, and it's a still, small voice, right? So lots of messes. This is what I'm hoping that we don't have as a church is messes. I wish I would have had this message when I was 18. Honestly, it would have saved me a lot of pain. So here's, here's, here would be like a rough sketch, right? I receive inspiration. And as I receive this inspiration, maybe I write it down. I believe I've heard from God. I I have a conviction. Like I've thought it through, and I believe this is what it means. At this point, I'm going to then take it to people in my life that are going to be counselors, right? In an abundance of counselors, there is victory. I, I want to say three things about the counselors in your life. One is that they should be consistent counselors. You want people that know you, that have walked your process, that have seen you over more than just a few weeks or a few months. Be, they know your patterns, they know your highs, they know your lows, they know what you do when you're hangry, they know what you do when you're just mad at the world, they know what you do when you're really happy, like they know you because the more history that we have with someone, the more authority we can speak into their lives with, right? So you wanna develop consistent counselors in your life. If you're just bouncing around to different people, you're gonna find people that are gonna tell you what you wanna hear. You need consistency. Secondly is you want trust. This is huge, because if we're honest, the, where, the place that we receive inspiration in our life is the imagination, and that's the most sacred and vulnerable part of us. It's a childlike place. So it's actually really scary any time we open up that part of our hearts and say, I think I've heard from God. And this is the mistake that I, I want to help you that I've had to learn over many years is because that's such a vulnerable place of hearing from God. What I would do when I would bring it out to people is I would say it with authority and loud and confidence because that was covering and it was some sort of a safety to show like how vulnerable it really was. So what I didn't realize is because I was saying it so loud and so authoritative well, God said da 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 that nobody would really ever offer their thoughts and their withholds that they were having because i came across so strong because in my heart of hearts i didn't really trust people to come and mold this sacred part of me right so you need trusting relationships that you can go to that you can be tender with and real with and that you trust they're not going to judge you they're not going to criticize you even if they disagree with you they're going to be that you have trust like you know they have their bet your best in their heart right and then thirdly you want a a a a team of rivals would be, there's a book, Abraham, uh, someone wrote about Abraham Lincoln. When he created his cabinet, he was, he was uh, quite a profound leader, but he created a team of rivals, and it was a, um, there was people with different political viewpoints. Oh, how I wish someone would do that today in this nation. Um, but he, he put on his own team people that had different perspectives, and he actually cultivated an environment that he knew tension would come up in, because truth is held in tension. And so if all your counselors think like you and drive the same car as you and live in the same neighborhood as you and da-da-da-da-da-da, you're, you're, you're drifting towards groupthink really quick. Right? Create a team of rivals. Create people who think different, who challenge you. Right? Because if your interpretation of a revelation can't go through being challenged and still stand, then you're never going to bring it forth in the real world. Because there's an enemy who's going to challenge it a lot more than the people in your life that love you, All right. So you need to create your own internal environment where you can be tested and refined so that it can come forth with a deeper conviction, right? So it starts with receiving my own internal conviction. I bring it to processors. As I've walked it through my processors, I then go into a stage of refining and, and uh, you know, reflecting upon it. And then I arrive at a, another internal conviction that I would uh, surmise would be stronger than the one it started with. Because I've now walked it through the process of community. I've walked it through an interpretive team that's going to help me come into a greater purity of what God's speaking to me. Yeah? All right, I'm almost done. Why is this important? It's going to create intimacy and reverence in your connection with God's voice. If God's voice always sounds like me or like you, you'll actually lose a sense of the fear of the Lord. So walking it through an interpretive process, sometimes you'll get disturbed. You'll be disturbed by what people say. You'll be challenged. It'll, be, it, it'll, it'll force you to have to think about things. And it actually, in a way, distinguishes, like, wow, like this is the Lord, and there's an authority to that. It's not, it's not just coming from me. Because I find if it's just me, and I haven't brought anybody else into it, there's not really a lot of accountability. There's not a reverence to it. It's like, oh, that's just what I think. I haven't brought it forth to people. So it's going to grow reverence with the voice of God. Two, it's going to protect you. People in our corner safeguard us from doing stupid things in the name of God. You can write that down. People in our corner safeguard us from doing stupid things in the name of God. Protection. Thirdly, confidence. I lost confidence in the voice of God because of an independent paradigm in my life. And when I was... 22 I had a very profound breaking um, and a lot of it was because of what I had believed God was had spoken to me and I'd acted on it and I'd acted on it and I'd acted on it and it was my own interpretation that was woven with a lot of self and it ended in a really really big mess for me and it was really really humiliating and I lost confidence in the voice of God because I said I, I heard your voice like I heard you and I responded in faith and I don't understand why did it create an absolute mess in my life and the Lord had to take me back on a journey and show me where he was giving me inspiration, but I was manipulating the inspiration without even knowing it through my own selfish, independent, interpretive process, and that was what was sending me off course, and that was part of the healing process for me, but it was a very humbling process for me, because I was like, oh, oh, like I'm just so much repentance, like I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, like I did that in your name, I said that, like I I felt justified doing things I should have never felt justified because I believed I'd heard from you. And uh, I, God redeemed that, redeemed a sense of confidence. Um, but this is what I have found, is that I, I, I live by what I'm preaching to you, by the way. And as I have grown in my ability to interpret what God's saying and, and found safeguarding and protection and reverence through people, I've also found that right interpretation is empowering. It increases conviction in my life. And it helps me cultivate a healthy, confident connection to God's voice. And that is what we want if we want to grow in favor, Amen. All right, so just stand up. I'm going to pray. Um, uh, this, this is I'm, I'm going to pray God's blessing upon you, and then this is this is what I feel how I feel led to end is, uh, you know, our battle's not flesh and blood; it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And independent spirit is it's it's a spirit; it's a, it's a, an assignment from the enemy that wants to choke out the word of God in our lives. And so I'm going to pray. Um, that that if there is any effect of an independent spirit in your life, that conviction will come on you tonight, and that it will actually disturb you to go with the Lord and process that over this week. Um, And and I just, so I want you to pay attention as I'm praying, and uh, if if something just quickens in you, and if the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, um, because we want to get this. Uh, I think this is maybe not the most amazing message you've ever heard, but it will be really helpful for you. I promise so Lord I thank you that your word accomplishes the 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 purpose for which it's sent God I thank you that you are a God who ridiculously favors us and that you grow us in favor through a connection with your voice that you've given us the ability to receive your voice and that you've given us the ability to learn wisdom in interpreting your voice and I pray God that you will grant that wisdom to this house And, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I oppose any independent spirit, God, any independent paradigm or thought pattern or self-protection that has been utilized by any person in this room, God, because of rejection or isolation or whatever it may be, Lord. But that you will come in your conviction and that you will begin to disarm any independent paradigm that would keep us from humbling ourselves and walking in community as we learn to discern and interpret the beautiful, beautiful words that you speak to us. God, I thank you that your words, God, they, they are more valuable than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That your word, God, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I come against tonight in the name of Jesus, anything that would hinder your church from a powerful, vibrant, healthy grounded biblical relationship with the voice of the father so i bless every ear and every heart and every mind to receive the father's inspiration and to learn the ways of interpreting it rightly for jesus sake and for jesus glory we pray amen amen all right you be blessed Yeah, be blessed, blessed as you go. I think that we're just going to leave it like that. And uh, we love you, love you, and we'll see you next week. Party after church.